Wait, 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 Divan. Come quickly share your testimony of the Cape Town Cycle Tour. Um, so, um, this was pretty much a big, like, accomplishment in my life, but, yeah. <laughs> so, it went well and everything. So, it went well and everything with the cycle tour, and when I came to Sakerbosio, it was hectic. I was cycling up there, and I was just putting my head down, and my sister was, before that, we passed, like, a hill, and she was like, Is, was that Sakerbosio? I'm like, no, it's starting now. And... Um, after Sacred Bosio, I just came on top, and yo, it was, yo, um, yeah, sorry. But um, every time I tell the story, I get emotional, but um, I just felt the Lord's presence fall upon me, and um, I just felt he said, Divan, actually, for you, um, Divan, I love you so much. And, yeah, it was, I, I was telling everyone while we were cycling, I'm like, it's so weird, but I'm feeling it. And, yeah, so I just, yeah, that's the story. <laughs> Yeah, it's beautiful where sometimes you just see something or you just feel God's presence come. You didn't even look for him and he just comes. Um, so yeah, welcome everyone. My name is Leonard. For those of you who don't know me, I'm going to preach on one scripture today actually. Um, I'll read one or two extra, but it's mainly going to be focused on one. So what I want to do is I'm going to read it for us and uh, then pray and then speak and then pray again. Okay, you've got it. Following me. So let's read... <clears throat> Someone have water for me, please. <coughs> Thank you. Sorry. Okay, so let's read <coughs> Romans 12, verse 1. And this is in the New King James Version. Um, the first Bible I got when I got saved, the guy who led me to the Lord gave me a New King James, and I struggled to read it so much. But um, there are parts that are actually really good, and I specifically want this translation over here, and I'll explain why. Later, but we're going to look at the New King James um, today. It says, so for all the Bloemfonteiners, I'm really sorry. If you, if you struggle a bit, we'll explain it. We'll, we'll read the New Living Translation a bit later for you, okay? <laughs> it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. I'm just going to read it one more time, and then I'm going to pray for us. Just try and take it in. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Let's pray. Our Father, I I do trust you, Lord, as, um, as we come to your word tonight, Lord, as we open up your word As we look at your mercies, as we look at what you've done for us, what you still do for us, God, I pray that you would help us to be people that are fully laid down for you. May our lives be living sacrifices to you, Lord. May we not only love you in word, but may we love you in deed as we lay down our lives because you lay down your life for us. I pray for open eyes tonight, Lord, even like Devan, where he could have explained the love of God beforehand, but then he felt it in a moment, and he saw your love. I pray for those moments tonight, Lord, not because of my words, but because of your spirit being here. I pray for those moments where people just see something of you, see something of the love of God lavished on that cross, and that we would be a people to say, Lord, what else can I do but give my life to you because of what you've done for me? In Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. Sorry, I'm a little bit sick. Um, 
I don't know why you're laughing. <laughs> oh, it's Yandre's bottle, all right. <laughs> Thanks, I'll keep it. So I want to, those of you, most of you know um, my wife and I, and you know one of the big reasons we had children was for sermon illustrations, and we're having a third now. <laughs> it's like a lifetime supply of sermon illustrations. But um, I do want to tell you a little bit of a story, uh, not a story, but just explain something to you about children, because most of you in here don't have children. There are a couple, a couple of um, people here that, that do have, so you'll understand what I'm speaking about. But it's been a really eye-opening thing for me, because uh, having children is really romantic. The idea of it is really romantic, and it is amazing. It is, it is the greatest feeling ever, but it's also the most challenging thing that you'll probably go through in your life as well. And... Initially, I remember the, the newborn phase of, of babies. Our babies were three months premature. They're twins. Uh, no, not three months premature, sorry. Three weeks premature. <laughs> but for three months, we had to give, 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 and there was nothing in return. We had to set an alarm every third hour, and Carla uh, breastfed at that point, and that took about an hour. And when I speak about it now, I feel like I get PTSD because it was such a struggle getting them down to sleep again. So for about three months' time, the most we could sleep at one point was two hours if you were lucky and then you're awake for an hour again. You could sleep two hours. And that was in between trying to learn how all of this works. And the interesting about children, thing about children is for the first couple of months of their lives, there is absolutely nothing that you receive in return from them. When they're a couple of months old, there's a little smile that pops up, and for the first time, there's this glimmer of hope that I'll receive for all of my giving. <laughs> I'm going to receive a bit of love for all the sacrificial love that I'm giving to this child. And even as they're growing older, it is, it is a process of maturity in order to learn to give what they are receiving, to reciprocate the love that they are receiving. And, and maturity is that learning to come to that place. And one of our girls, Lenka, She's a sweetie, and she knows that I love her, really. She's, um, she's the smaller one of the two. Uh, I know that she knows that I love her because I really give my life for that girl. For the first few months, she struggled to drink, and I would have to hold her in a specific way. I would have to bounce either fast or slow, depending on what would get her to drink. She had reflux. It was, it was a really tough time of our lives. So I've laid down my life for this girl. She knows. She knows she knows that I love her. But... She's got an interesting personality, which I'm still trying to figure out, and she can get frustrated really quickly. I think she's got more of a boxed personality, and sometimes she really only wants Carla. It's like, I can be there. I can, I can want to love her. I can want to pick her out of bed. I can want to soothe her at night when she's crying, but sometimes she only wants Carla, or I do something that frustrates her, and she'll scratch me and try and bite me when I try and show her love. So I think I've got a few scratch marks here on my forehead and normally in my neck, uh, and, and she does that. I, I give her love, I lay down my life for her, but many times there is a disconnect because although I give, there's nothing given in return. And a lot of that is actually parenthood. You give because you love, and you hope that there's a return, but you're not always sure whether there will be a return, and you don't even do it for the return. You just hope for a return. And then I look at Skalk Willem and Greta's parents uh, this evening when they walked in here, and Greta came out, and there was a big hug, and she said, oh, I forgot that you were going to be here. Give them a big hug, and oh, I'm so happy to see you. And I'm like, oh, that's so amazing. That's like, 
Love given, love received. I go and ask my kids, don't you want to give daddy a kiss? And then one out of about 20 times, they'll give me a kiss. The other times, it's like, nah, I just want to play, right? So that's what we're aiming for because as maturity comes, there's more of a giving back for what you have received. And the interesting thing is, as Christians, maturity works exactly the same way. You see, the scripture that we read here speaks about the mercy of God. And the mercy of God was shown for us on the cross. That is and was the ultimate sacrifice. There is no more sacrificial loving than Jesus showed for us on the cross. Nothing else in this world could ever come close to the amount of love that was poured out for every one of us when Jesus died for us on that cross. For every one of us. But you know, just like there is a discrepancy between what I give to my girls and what is received back from them, with many of us, and I dare to say all of us, there's a discrepancy in our relationship with God. He has given everything to us, sacrificially. He died on that cross not knowing whether you would give anything back for Him, but He died nonetheless. He took your sin upon His shoulders. He gave, gave everything. That is what Paul speaks about in this scripture as the mercies of God. It is phenomenal. But God does that. And on the other hand, the disconnect is there where, yeah, we, we will give a kiss now and then. We'll love now and then. We try, but there's a disconnect between what we've received and what we actually give back. So I want to go through this scripture with you um, because I think the first few words, uh, wait, I'll, I'll get there now. We're gonna, I'm going to go through the scripture systematically, but I think the first few words were, in a sense, I think what Paul felt there is Paul saw this discrepancy when he looked at the church. And you know what? As a church leader, I know not only see it in my life, but I see it in the church. Sometimes I, we come, and as elders, we come before the church, and you know what the cry of our hearts is? Lord, we want maturity in the people. Lord, we want depth in the people. And we're so blessed at this church that we've, we've grown in width quite, quite quickly. We've, we've really had a lot of people added to the church, and it's, it's been an amazing thing to witness but that's not the only thing that we're after. Yes, we want people to be reached and saved, and that's important. But also, what we want is for people to see the mercy of God and for their lives to be changed completely. We want depth to come into the church. That is a desire of our hearts. And I think when Paul wrote the scripture, I think that's exactly what he felt. Because up until then, the first few chapters, the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans were all theology and art. He was explaining the mercy of God to people. He was saying, come on, this is what Jesus did for you. This is how he loved you. This is how he took his, your sin upon his shoulders. This is why you need to die, but he died for you. This is what sin looks like. He explains the theology, and then he gets to chapter 12, and he changes tact, and he goes from only theology, and he says, oh, but come on, now you need to start applying it. Now you need to bridge that gap of the discrepancy. Now it needs to not only be what God has given you, but what you give to God in return. Come on, in view of His mercies, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. And the interesting thing is when Paul stands there, I don't know if any of you have ever experienced this, where you try and explain to someone what it, why we follow God and why you love God, but you just don't have the words and it's like they just don't get it. Anyone felt like that? And then you say, oh, I wish I could just let you feel what I feel. Anyone? <laughs> it's like, I know it's in me, but I can't explain it. I'm trying my best. I just want you to feel it. I can't force you. If I could force you, I would. But I can't. <laughs> I need you to let, to let you see it as difficult. And I think what Paul felt here is he said, 
He sees the mercy of God. He sees the discrepancy. Our people see some parts of it, but they're still living for themselves in many ways. And he says, oh, I wish I could let you get it, but I can't force you. And then he says, I beseech you or I urge you. In a sense, he's begging them. He says, come on, bridge that gap. Bridge that gap. So I want to, I want to show you a clip, and I don't think there's any children in here, which I'm hoping there's no children in here. Um, this is most, some of you would have seen this clip, but um, it's, uh, it's, it's of the Passion of the Christ, and it's the crucifixion scene. And I just felt to show it to us tonight, actually to remind us, because I can, in my words, I can explain, and I think this is a beautiful depiction of what happened on the cross. This is the mercy of God, and I want you to, as you watch it, feel Paul's anguish, as Paul had this in mind. He lived just after Jesus. Jesus revealed himself to Paul. Now Paul sees this, and he's like, come on. Brothers and sisters, this is the mercy of God. Come on, brothers and sisters. Why don't you give your life to him as well as he's given his life to you? So let's just watch that. Yeah, praise you, Jesus. Would we praise you for the fact that the Bible even says that you are marred beyond description. And Lord, even as we watch this, Lord, and we see the mercy of God that was that was displayed for us on the cross, Lord. I pray that you would grip our hearts, Lord, for just for that, Lord, for that moment and what you did for us there, Lord. May we never be a people who forget, Lord. May it never only become head knowledge to us, Lord, but may we see it in our hearts, Lord. May we see it in our hearts, Lord. And as you gave your life for us, God, we pray that we would be a people who give our lives to you. Yes, Lord. So I believe that's what Paul had in mind. And I'm going to read it to you again. We're just going to go back to Romans 12, verse 1. Paul has that in mind, and he says, I beseech you, therefore. It's like, come on, come on, see what Jesus has done for you. I beseech you, I ask you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now, it's interesting that Paul says present your bodies a living sacrifice, because these people would have come out of the Old Testament ritual system where offerings, burnt offerings of animals would have had to be brought. So they knew what it meant for a life to be given. And Paul is specifically then looking to Christians and he's saying, in the same way that Jesus presented his life for you, Jesus wants you to give your life for him. And he specifically uses the word bodies. And bodies refers to all of you. I'm going to read you a quote by Michael Eaton, which I thought was really brilliant. And he says, this giving of our bodies that Paul is urging us to do, says, it is when we consciously and deliberately give the bits and pieces of our entire life to God, our feet, where we go. I mean, if Jesus has given everything for us, have we given him everything? Meaning, are you just making your own plans for your future? Or have you come to a place where you say, Jesus, my plans are yours, where I go And not only my plans for the future, but where I set my foot here, the places that I go, the people that I go to, our sexual life needs to be given to God. Our habits of eating and drinking, our physical energy, our mouth, our tongue, what we say, our voice, our ears, what we like to hear, our appearance, that's important. Even your appearance needs to be given over to God, what you do with your body, our eyes, what we like to look upon, to read, to watch, our brain, what we like to think about, how to plan our lives. We give ourselves clean away. 
the person who loses his life will find it. That is what Paul had in mind when he said, come on, yay. Jesus didn't just give bits of himself. He gave all of himself. And he's urging us, come, whether you see it or not. He's like, I need you to see it. Because he looks at those people and he sees that there are areas of their lives not surrendered to him. So he then goes on and he says um, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable God to God. If you can just put the new King James up again, Alicia, thanks. Which is your reasonable service? And I want to just hang around here for a couple of minutes. He specifically says your reasonable service. And if you open up your Bible, uh, you'll see that in the different translations, this word reasonable is translated in different ways. Now, I'm not pretending to be a scholar. I'm not pretending to say your Bibles are wrong. I think I understand why they translate it differently in different places. Many of them say this is your spiritual worship. But I want to quickly look at three translations and say that I think this is the correct way to translate what he's saying there. Um, let's look at it in the ESV quickly, Romans 12 verse 1. It says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Remember just the one before, he said, this is your reasonable service. And if you read the ESV, who reads the, that, the, the best translation? Okay, you've got it. <laughs> okay. If you read the ESV, you'll see that there's a footnote that says basically the same. It says, or it can be translated as rational service. So Paul's taking it here, and he's he's saying rational service. Okay, The way that you give yourself is a rational choice that you make. Previous one, it is a reasonable service, meaning you do it with your mind. And then Michael Eaton has his own translation. He He's a really clever guy. He reads the Bible in Greek, so he doesn't, he, he doesn't read it in English. He reads it in Greek. He says the following. He translates it as this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a sacrifice, living, holy, acceptable to God, your intelligent worship. Have you ever thought that your worship of God can be intelligent, it can be reasonable, it can be with your mind, a choice that you make with your mind to worship God? You know, I've always thought of worship only as worship of the heart. But he's saying, you know, no, no, in view of God's mercy, sometimes some of you need to stand still and say, it's not only of the heart because your heart will wander. What does Proverbs teach us? The heart is deceitful above all things. Like the devil is deceitful, right? Proverbs says the most deceitful thing is your heart. You know, these people who say, follow your heart, you're like, no, run away, get away from those people, don't follow your heart. Your heart is deceitful. So Paul is saying, you cannot even trust your heart to respond to the mercies of God because your heart is deceitful. Some days, you will, in your heart, you will feel like you want to respond to the mercies of God. But if you come to a place where you say, no, 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 I want to make it my rational worship. I want to make a decision. I think that is the switch that needs to take place in many of us because I think we are led by our emotions and by our hearts too many times. So he, he specifically says your intelligent worship. The Greek word there is, and it's, it, you'll see it, it sounds familiar, logikos. Does that sound like Mexican food, Enrique says? <laughs> Logical. 
This is your logical worship. So what Paul is saying is it, it is logical. If Jesus gave his everything for you, it is logical that you give your everything to him. And I want to say to you, I think there needs to be a place in all of us where we sit down, we look at our lives logically, we look at the areas of our lives, and I say, logically, what have I not given to God because he's given everything to me? Not what do I feel convicted about on a Sunday, not what, what do I feel like today, no, 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 what is my logical worship to God? And uh, I think this is a thing of applying what we know, because we, we know too much sometimes. I think the early Christians, you know, they knew the Old Testament really well, but the words of the New Testament that we have, they were, these were letters that circulated between places, and they were read out loud. You did not have your own copy. We have such knowledge, such knowledge. Our problem is the application of our knowledge, and I think that is because we are emotional to the core, our generation, and I think too emotional. If we don't feel it, we don't do it, but Paul is urging us. He's saying, no, 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 you've got enough information. Now do what you know to be true. We are to be doers of the Word of God. So I want to ask you, a couple of weeks ago, um, those of you who were here, we had a Sunday where I spoke about applying the Word of God. Who was here with that? Okay, you won't remember. Um, I spoke about communities and looked at a couple of the things with communities. How many people are on communities versus on the WhatsApp groups? Who was there for that? Okay, see. Okay, you remember. A bunch of you. So my question is, knowledge is given. We, we're given knowledge, but my question is, how many of us applied what we heard that Sunday? How many of us apply what we hear on Sundays? How many of us apply what we read in the Bible? When we read about the mercy of God, how, much of, of, how many of us apply that? I spoke about community. Who of you actually, after that Sunday, after you maybe feel convicted, I don't, you don't have to raise your hand, but who actually went and joined a community and gave themselves to a community? See, our problem is not that we don't know. Our problem is that we don't do. Our problem is that we don't logically conclude, if I hear this and I hear this out of the Scriptures, that's my child, um, <laughs> then I need to give of myself. Um, I, we spoke about finances, and we said, listen, it's not about the money. I, I feel like I have to qualify it again. It's not about the money. We've never had a shortage of money in this church. It's been amazing. Well, we do have a shortage. We're a poor congregation, but the other congregations give to us. So we've never ever had a shortage because of the rest of Josh Chen, which is amazing. But so this is not about that. But we spoke about the fact that each of us do need to give because where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. And I looked at the amount of payments that come in and we said that actually means maybe a third of us are giving on a monthly basis. I said, even if you give 10 rand, challenge yourself, give 10 rand because there needs to be something of you that you give. My question is not what did you hear, it's what did you do about what you heard? Because we become dangerous Christians to ourselves if we are ever hearing, but never doing, never perceiving, never putting into action the things that we hear. This might feel like a tap over the fingers and it might be because you are you are going to put your faith in a dangerous position if all of it is hard, but you don't learn to actually do. We spoke about visitors, the fact that it's scary for visitors to come in, and we said, please, guys, if you're here, don't hang around in your circles. Make the lonely feel family. That's what we call to do as a church. My question is, are we doing that? Are we doing it? We spoke about the fact that it's, it's good for us to be on time for church because it says something of value. I spoke about it at our leaders' meeting this week. 
Let me use a quick illustration. If I told you that tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock, if you meet me at 8 o'clock and you're not one second late, I'll give you 100,000 rand. Who's, who's going to miss it and say, sorry, the traffic was bad? <laughs> Anyone? <laughs> no. Is anyone going to miss it? I don't think so because it's a thing of value. If I value that money, then I will make a plan to be there. I'll make a plan to be there on time. So your values, values actually, you prioritize around your values. And we spoke about that and I said, come on. Like we, if we value this time, we value being there for new people. We value being with the fellowship of the saints, with people we will prioritize actually coming on time and making sure that we are here ready to give of ourselves actually. The question is not what did you hear? The question is what are we doing with what we hear? When we hear of the mercies of God, when we hear of the goodness of God, when we read the Bible, what do we do with it? Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end with a scripture. It's probably one of my shortest messages, which is great. Um, Revela- Henry is excited. Revelation 2 verse 4 to 5. <laughs> this is really one of those, those scriptures for me that have, re- have helped me to understand the fact that sometimes I need to do even when I don't feel. And you know what many times happens? My feelings follow when I do. I, I started going to, to gym. I do CrossFit light. That's what I, what I call it. Sweat with Reino, Nicola. There's a bunch of people here. It's great. It's CrossFit light. Sometimes I'm the only guy there, but I'm masculine enough to handle it. Okay. It's fine. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's these sort of aerobic. No, not, not exactly aerobic. There are a couple of weights. A couple of weights. I've, I've started doing that now. It's great. You know what? Many mornings I wake up, my alarm goes off at 10 past 5. I've had a bad night with the girls. We were up. It's, having children is giving, 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 remember. It's like I was up all night. I struggle. But you know what? Sometimes my feelings say don't wake up, but my bank account says you paid for this. Wake up and go, right? <laughs> and then I go, and every time I go, I'm happy that I went because my feelings follow what I do. I know what the truth is, I know what I've decided, and I follow through on my decisions, and my feelings follow, and we need to learn to do that in our Christianity as well, not the other way around. Listen to the scripture, this breaks people's boxes, but I think it's so great. Revelation 2 verse 4, Jesus is rebuking a church, he says, yet I hold this against you, you have forsaken your first love. Imagine that, imagine Jesus comes to you and he says, oh, you loved me, your heart was there at some point, you saw the mercies of God, it was great, but mm mm-mm. You've forsaken, you've forgotten, your heart has gone astray. What do you think the solution will be? Give your heart back to me, get your heart in the right place? I would think so many times, but look at Jesus' solution here, what he gives to the church. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and? I'm going to try that again. Repent and? Do. Do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from you. Jesus' solution when our hearts go astray, and he says, yes, your hearts will go astray. There will be times where you forget about my mercy. You won't act on the things that I've given to you. You won't give yourself to me like I've given myself to you. What do I do in those moments? I remember from where I've fallen. I remember the discrepancy. And I say, I'm going to do the things that I did at first. I know what is right to do in this moment. I know what I should do. I know how to give my life to you. I know I want to go and do this sin, but I know not to do it. I know I don't feel like coming to church, but I know it will be the right thing, and I'm going to give myself to it. It's like when I get there, my emotions follow if I come with all of my heart. I've used this illustration a thousand times, but 
if you don't feel like getting on the treadmill, that does not mean you should not get on the treadmill. If your motivation is wrong, if I feel like oh, I shouldn't get on the treadmill because all I'm worried about is my heart body and that's not a good motivation, so I'm not going to get on it, that's not right. What you do is you get on the treadmill and you change your motivation on the treadmill. I want to say to us, church, oh, we hear a lot. We hear a lot. We've heard the gospel countless times. We've heard the mercies of God countless times. We've read the Bible how many times? We need to make a shift in ourselves to say, I want to not move on until I apply, until I give myself to those things. Let's maybe stand as we end.